Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Morning, church. Morning. Uh, before we start, I'd just like to take this opportunity to uh, just honour our pastor, Pastor Simon, and his family, Andrea and the girls. I think we're so fortunate to have a pastor and a family who care so deeply for the local community in Horsham. And I, I see Simon pouring his heart and soul every day into the local community. So. I just want to say, I really appreciate, and we should appreciate our pastors too. So uh, this morning we will continue looking at the team, discovering uh, our shape. In uh, particular, we will look at abilities. Uh, abilities refers to any natural talents, uh, ab- skills that we have at birth but also uh, skills that we develop as part of our vocational training, education. Uh, specifically, we want to look at how do we use our abilities to do the work of God. Amen, church? Okay, tough crowd this morning. <laughs> now, last, last week, uh, Glenda presented uh, uh, on the topic of heart, and it was totally unplanned. She was uh, uh, presented a portion of John chapter 6, which is the feeding of the 5,000. But fortunate for me, John chapter 6 is one of the longest scriptural passages in the entire Bible, coming at 71 verses. So you guys are in trouble this morning. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Someone once told me that the secret to a good sermon is to have a good beginning and a good ending and to have both of these as close as possible. So uh, we're just going to do a portion of John chapter 6 this morning. Well, we'll look at uh, uh, the first uh, 15 verses. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, John chapter 6, first 15 verses, and we will have a look at a couple more verses later on. So John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Verse 4, the Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. Jesus is being cheeky here. Uh, For he already had in mind what he was going to do. And verse 7, Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's uh, brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would they go among so many? Verse 9, oh, sorry, verse 10. 
Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is a prophet that, who is to come into the world uh, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray uh, today you will speak to us through your word and through your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would remove any hindrances or barrier that prevents us from coming to Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just recently, last month, uh, my family and I, we had the opportunity to visit Malaysia, uh, my home country, and we had an amazing time in Malaysia. I thought it'd be a good idea this morning just to uh, introduce Malaysia. Uh, do, do you have, have anyone been to Malaysia? Can I have a show of hands? Okay, awesome. Uh, so a couple of questions I normally get about Malaysia. The first one is, uh, where is Malaysia? <laughs> so shown in this map, uh, is a map of Southeast Asia, and Malaysia is actually uh, consists of two parts. We have the West Coast and the East Coast. And normally when we talk about Malaysia, we refer to the West Coast, sandwiched in between uh, Thailand and Singapore. And in West Malaysia, we have the capital city Kuala Lumpur. And what sort of weather uh, Malaysia has? We, we are a tropical country, so we have four seasons, hot, wet, hot, and wet. And what sort of uh, uh, people like? Uh, we are a multicultural society, pretty much the same as Australia. Sean has a picture of friendly people from different cultural backgrounds. And at the uh, uh, background is the skyscraper, Twin Towers in uh, Kuala Lumpur. And I'll, I often get asked, uh, what is Malaysia famous for? Well, many things, but at the top of my list, I must say food. So just a sample, a picture of the, the cuisines on offer, and uh, during the recent trip, uh, we thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. Uh, I know I've overindulged uh, when my eldest, Angie, came over to me. Uh, she pointed at my tummy, and she asked, Daddy, is there a baby in there? <laughs> you can imagine the interesting conversation we have trying to convince her that, that is absolutely impossible, even though we keep telling our kids, with God, all things are possible. <laughs> so why, why are we talking about food? Because food seems to be a, uh, a major concern or lack of food in a passage that we just read. Just to give a um, context of uh, the passage, John 6, a huge crowd of people was following Jesus after witnessing the miraculous signs that performed. And it was during a time of Passover. Uh, Passover is one of the major Jewish uh, celebrations. And it is to commemorate uh, 700 years ago when God rescued the Israelites 
from slavery, captivity from the Egyptian kingdom. Now, uh, God sent Moses, appointed as a prophet. So basically, prophet are people, a messenger God, tasked with a special mission. And Moses was asked to demand the release of the Israelites from the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But the king refused, and so God sent 10 plagues or judgment on Egypt. The final plague, the 10th plague, was that God will pass over Egypt and strike down the firstborn of each household. But through Moses, God instructed the Israelites to sacrifice a young lamb and with the blood painted on the doorpost. So when God passed over Egypt, no harm will befall on the household that has the lamb of the blood of the lamb. And each year, uh, the Jews will commemorate this, this uh, rescue, redemption from slavery uh, by having unleavened bread. So unleavened bread basically are bread that is without yeast, so what we know call as flat bread. So there was a general expectation during this time of Passover, the crowd, that the food is part of the package. Like they are following Jesus, and there is this expectation, surely we will be fed. And you could sense the anxiety or tension coming from the disciples, telling Jesus that, um, no, we, we slim, simply lack the ability, the resources, the time to feed all these people. Now, the Bible tells us that there are approximately 5,000 men, but we know there are women and kids, child with the crowd. And some biblical scholars estimate there could be up to 20,000 people together at that time. So you could understand these disciples was getting a bit nervous. And, but by concluding that they simply lacked the ability or resource to feed the crowd, the disciples has also concluded that even for Jesus, asking such miracle might be too much. After all, up to that point, the disciples has not witnessed Jesus perform a miracle at such magnitude and scale. So, the disciples concluded that it probably is too much even for a worker of miracles such as Jesus. But we all know from the scriptural passage, all it took was a boy to give up his lunchbox of five loaves of bread and two small fish for Jesus to use it to feed the crowd. So just two comments or two observations that I would like to make uh, with regard to using our abilities to make an impact to do the work of God. First is this. Do not put God in a box. Do not limit Jesus because it is tempting based on our human experience to say God sometimes is too hard. Perhaps God is not able to come through this time. But we know with God all things are indeed possible. And the second point is this. We need to entrust our skills, our abilities, our resources completely, absolutely to God for Him to use it for His glory. Now, I, I, I understand. Sometimes it is hard for us to be a part of a ministry, be in church or outside in a community because sometimes we ourselves, we are convinced that we have little to offer. And it doesn't help when people around us, including sometimes even in church, tells us that 
sorry, your abilities, they are just small, insignificant, although with good intentions, not much of use. And that's precisely how the disciples thought of the contribution by the boy. So, John chapter 6, verse 9. Andrew said this, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves. Emphasis added on a small. And two small fish. How far could, could they go? What could we do with this such small, insignificant contribution? And, and sometimes we, we too, we fall under the impression that we need to be, have this amazing skill and talent in order to make a difference. Or we fall under the impression that we need a special calling. If only God calls me, I will have this amazing natural talent, supernatural skills that I could use to make a difference. But I tell you this, friends, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called, and all of us have been called. Check this out. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20-21, it says, Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good, not something, but all things good for doing His will, and may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to Him be glory forever and ever. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, for we are all God's handiwork, masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God predestined for us to do. God gave the calling to each of us to do good works. And that's great news because that means all of us uh, will be equipped to do the good work that God has planned for us. And uh, to discover further uh, your abilities, there are resources such as uh, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life, giving a good overview of the shape ministry, and also Eric Ries' uh, book, Discovering Your Shape. And I believe our uh, office has uh, resources as well for life group to explore your shape. So the real question now is, are we ready to do the work of God? Church, are we ready? Can we encourage one another this, uh, each other this morning? Can you turn to your neighbor and say, we will do the work of God? Awesome. Amen. Let us push, continue deeper into this scripture passage. Uh, we'll jump ahead a couple of verses and pick up the story. Uh, if you have, still have the Bible open, could you turn to uh, verse 25, we will do 10 verses there on. Verses 25 to 35. So verse 25. When they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So the crowd pursued Jesus for the entire day, all the way across the lake. Now they were pretty determined. Uh, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, not because you believed in me, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, 
but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe the one he has sent. Verse 30. They asked him, what miraculous sign would them would you give that we may see it and believe you? What would you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave him bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who, given, who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the crowd was looking for Jesus, and when they found Jesus, Jesus said, you are looking for me not because you believe in me, but you had your fill. You had food. Do not work for food. Do not work for burgers and chips and fries that will not endure. Work for food that it endures for eternity. And the crowd listened and they liked it. They said, okay, tell us now, how do we get this food of, that endures for eternity? Tell us what must we do to do the works of God. And Jesus responded by giving this frustrating answer. He says the work of God is this, is to believe in the one the Father has sent. It's to believe in Him. And the crowd responded by saying, okay, you want us to believe in you? Show us the sign. Show us miracles. You know, Moses, Moses, when he led the Israelites out from Egypt, in the desert, manna fell from heaven. Manna is essentially something like bread. And, and, and what would you do then? Are you able to feed us the bread, manna? It's great. Jesus said, oh, all right, you want to talk about bread? How about this? It was not Moses that fed you. It was not your obedience to the law, 10 to-do list, that fed you. It was my Father, Father in heaven. It was His grace it was love that fed you. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And Jesus goes further in the passage saying, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And at this stage, the crowd was saying like, whoa, I know Jesus is radical, but this is a bit weird now. And in verse 66, almost everyone, most of his followers stop or abandon Jesus because they could not accept what he was saying. They could not understand. So what is Jesus trying to say here? Jesus is saying, He is the one who gives life. Jesus is saying, like the bread, we need to receive Jesus. We need to digest Jesus. We need to absorb Jesus in order to fill our spiritual hunger. Jesus is saying He is able to fulfill our longing, deep desire to know God, Father, in a personal and intimate manner. But more so, Jesus is saying, no matter how good you are, amazing abilities you have, 
what good works you do, it will never be able to come to the requirement that God has for righteousness. The book Isaiah tells us this, all of us has become one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You see, Jesus said, it is said in the Lord, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, any man who looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery in God's eyes. And he goes further in saying, anyone who harbors anger against another person has committed murder in God's eye. And that is the standard of God. And this is absolutely impossible. This is absurd. And that's the point. But you know what is even more absurd is this. In John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is scandalous. I don't understand. Like, like why would you, Jesus, hang out with dirty rags? Why would you want to be with people who will abandon you the moment you don't fit their mold of a savior, the moment they do not like what you're saying? And there are some not really nice people out there. But you know what? I'm glad that Jesus calls me his friend. I know sometimes my, my, my sin might not be obvious, but they are real. And the Bible tells us this, that Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. He loved us for who we are right now. And He wants to be with us, to cheer us on in our journey of life, to celebrate the joys and be with us to the tough times. You know, talking about judging, judging people, judging others, I think sometimes we are even harsher compared to God. You know, the evil in others so compels us, this righteousness, sense of righteousness to judge and condemn. Sometimes strangers that we don't know to life's sentences without even wanting to listen to their story. But God says, hang on a minute. I love that person. He can be saved. Really? What about rapists? What about mass murderers? What about drug dealers? What about human traffickers? Can they be saved too? And if they can be saved, should they be saved? No, we say we demand justice be served. And if indeed justice needs to be served, we are all in trouble because all of us have sinned one way or another against God. And the Bible tells us clearly, God is righteous. He is a righteous judge. He has to judge sin. And the penalty for sin is death, physical and spiritual death, eternal separation from Him. I'm glad Jesus is here for us. He calls us friends. You know, in, in, in writing off people easily, we sometimes write off ourselves quite easily too. I don't know about you, but in my journey of faith, I tend to 
seem to fluctuate between two extremes. On one extreme, I say all bad people deserve to be punished, deserve to be judged. And on the, on the other extreme, I say, woe is to me a sinner. I'm a miserable, wretched person. I don't deserve saving. I don't deserve people to love me. I don't deserve the love of God. And you know why? This, these two extremes is because we are so focused on ourselves. We're so focused on performances. We're so focused on works. We're so focused on rules rather than focusing on the one who gives life, rather than focusing on the bread of life, on having a real authentic relationship with Jesus. Jesus loves us unconditionally. And I know He loves us so much that the Bible tells us this. God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, sin is real. And no one knows the gravity of sin much clearer than Jesus Himself. And that is why He is so much more determined to save us. Jesus led, lived a perfect life in obedience to God. As Jordan said, a perfect human being. But he took upon himself the sin, our sin, sin of the world. He became the Lamb of God as an atonement, a sacrifice for our sin. He was trialed as a criminal, nailed to the cross. But by doing so, Jesus nailed our sin to the cross. And on the third day, he rose again. And the Bible tells us that whoever put our faith, believe in Jesus, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus became the Lamb of God. When God comes to judge, we are covered in the blood of Christ for those who put our faith in Him. And God's judgment pass over us. We are spared from the wrath of God. But this is more than just redemption or saving from punishment or from wrath. What Jesus has done on the cross goes far more than just redemption. Scripture tells us in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This amazing transformation happening here. Last week, Glenda talked about having a pure heart, and the scripture tells us that blessed are those who are pure heart, for they shall see God. Now, it means if we are not pure in heart, we, we can't see God. But how can Someone with impure heart purify himself. Now we know. Because of the great redeeming work at the cross, Jesus not only redeemed us from the bondage of sin, but he purifies our heart for himself, make us new, give us a new heart, so we are eager to do what is good. You know, the church is a body of people, a community who understands we need help, who, who understands that we need to encourage one another to love Jesus. 
And as we grow deeper and deeper in love with Jesus, we notice something amazing happening. We notice lives changing. We don't know, we don't know how or when, but one day we realize, we look around us, our marriages are strong. We love our kids and the kids actually love us too. And, and, and we speak nicer things to people and, and we get mad less. And all this transformation, we can't take credit for it because God did all the hard work. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. Can I invite the team to lead us in a time of response? The book of Hebrews tells us that because of what Jesus has done and our faith in Jesus, we can approach the throne of grace. We can enter boldly into the presence of God with freedom and with confidence. And it is with such knowledge and confidence I would like to invite this morning for us to surrender our heart, our abilities, our giftings to Jesus. I pray that we'll know the love of the Father who runs so deep and wide that nothing that we ever do, no sin is so big that God is afraid or God is concerned. No, His love is all-conquering and all-powering. I'll ask, I'll, I'll pray that we come before Jesus and lay down our burden and just receive the bread of life just receive Jesus for Christ is enough.